Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm Anne Quentin Wolfe, and today we are talking about, but not visiting, Battersea. Nothing personal, Battersea. Uh, There's a good reason for it, as will, I hope, become clear. We're going to be exploring one artist's very personal view of Battersea's plural, past, present, and future. And in doing so, inevitably, we're going to be talking about the power station that's at the heart of that whole thing. And um, this is about to sound like a trite connection, but it's not at all, because it's not merely the the subject matter of power stations that connects things up here, um, nor the date, which, as you'll know, is five years since the... Well, disaster isn't a strong enough word. In fact, I don't think words are really available for what happened in Japan five years ago. You'll have seen the pictures. You'll remember, of course, among many other aspects to the tragedy, the situation at the Fukushima nuclear plant. And the reason I bring that up is not merely the date, but also that the exhibition we're visiting in this podcast is a two-hander. And alongside my guest's discussion of Battersea is a piece about Fukushima. And I made an editorial decision here. I didn't want to put these two things side by each. But equally, I'm not going to skim over uh, what today means. And I want to express in the strongest possible terms uh, solidarity with anyone who's looking back over the last five years at at events back then and uh, is doing so with uh, inevitably a great deal of pain. There's no easy way to follow on from that, so apologies for the jarring effect as we move forward. I want to give a nod to those who've been tweeting the show over the last few weeks especially. Jason Hewitt, Michelle Francis, Gareth Morell, special marks to Konstantin Pinev as always, uh, Moscow, London. Well, you know what? As an information guru, you are worth your weight in gold, sir. One of your latest observations about uh, Fleet Street starting where it did because it was in between the uh, the church and the lawyers. Of course, who need all the printed materials? Yeah, makes perfect sense. Uh, lots of comments as well on the matcha group green tea coffee thing Uh, matcha martinis as well have been suggested uh, by bob swindle that's uh fractus matcha martinis i don't think so candace has emailed us at info at londonistoutloud.com and she says the best and best is capitalized i'll have you know matcha latte and proper plain matcha on offer in london is at curator's coffee this is because they use lalani and co brand matcha which is about the best you can get in the british market and the quality of the matcha is key to making it not taste awful and bitter Uh, so there you go i don't know if she's correct about that but she does know her teas so i think we're in with a shout 
if you've been enjoying the show, you could do us a solid one and you could uh, you could give us a review on iTunes if you felt like it. Good reviews and high ratings are intimately connected to us being able to uh, yeah, stay on the air and, and keep bringing you this stuff. And uh, without further ado, let me bring you this stuff. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before, just a stone throw from your front. Surrounded by strange noises, I'm just south of the Thames. I'm in the Borough, London Bridge area in a darkened room. Onto a wall behind me is projected a cinematic view of, well, construction, atmospheric stuff going on in another place south of the river. Just ahead of me, Alice May Williams, who I'm really disappointed to discover is not what I had in my mind uh, at all. I had a very clear image of somebody who fought in the civil rights movement and then retired to the Deep South to write uh, inspirational novels in her later years. Alice May Williams, you are not that person. I'd, I, how do you respond to that? That's, that's the best introduction ever. Is that because of my name? Yes, oh, very much so. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is your film, right? This is my film, yeah. Could you, because it's the obvious place to start, and it, of course, dominates the room as, as well it should, could you give us a bit of narrative as to what we're seeing here? So the film basically charts the course of history on one patch of land being the site of the Battersea Power Station, going from before it was built back to when Battersea was a marsh and a market garden up until the present and future. It's fast cuts going on here. So, for example, we're spinning around a Chelsea FC football field in what looks like a graphic construction of the building, intercut with scenes from maybe the 20s or 30s of flat-capped workers huddled around. It always looks like it was cold in the 20s and 30s, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, now we see a fire burning in what looks like the 80s from the film quality. So this is a real hash together of all sorts of different things. Is there a narrative through line to this? Uh, yes. Uh, what is the narrative through line? <laughs> Note to self, don't ask closed questions. <laughs> Um, so the kind of structure of the film is uh, based on the practice of mindfulness of trying to remain in the present moment being constantly drawn into the past and the future so the part that you referred to with the anima- the digital animation of Chelsea Football Club represents a kind of lost future which was one plan for the closed power station was to turn it into Chelsea Football Club at one point which um, unfortunately never got uh, further than the drawing board stage and the intercut with uh, archive footage of the power station. I think in the 30s that image was from during a strike by the workers at the power station. So in short answer to your question, is there a narrative? The narrative would be understanding the possible futures that might be, I was going to say possible again, uh, through looking at the past and how things are constantly fluctuating and shifting so kind of understanding this moment in time is just being very transitory and one of a a range of possible todays depending on which way things had turned at any given point 
is that where you spend your time imaginatively and do you find yourself inhabiting that space a lot where things could have been this other way yeah I find it really interesting I also I always find looking at things on a really broad scale to be useful in understanding both the present and the future so understanding that you know that there's the way that things are in London at the moment there's, there's a feeling somehow of like inevitability of the way things will go and how we're on this sort of progression towards a uninhabited luxury flat empty city scenario but you know when you look at the the course of history on that one patch of land and all the different aspirations and plans and movements of people that have happened in one area you kind of understand these these eras as being very temporary really we don't really know what will happen in the future but it most certainly probably won't be what we think Hmm. i presume you've had to contextualize the archive footage here that you've been weaving together and i wonder if there have been other times that that you would identify with the time we were in now in terms of that sealed fate of london and oh yes it's it's definitely going to be out of reach of the common person that's an interesting question Uh, one thing that i find interesting about the power station in itself is that the reason that it was built in battersea in the first place was because the people of chelsea and westminster had a high demand for power but they didn't want a power station on their side of the river because (laughs) is that right yeah because it would decrease the value of their homes so they went to the next available place which was battersea and they said right we'll we'll build the power station here and that will feed all the power north of the river and the people of battersea who are generally poor can put up with the dirty air and so there was a kind of inevitability about that north-south divide of the rich in chelsea looking down their noses at Battersea and now we're in a situation where you've got Battersea and the power station with the, the kind of penthouse multi-million pound flats you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a very strange reversal of fortunes yeah. for Battersea Well and for Chelsea, well. when, when did the station go up? I think they started work in 28 or 29 and it took about 10 years to build it entirely so for a while it was just two chimneys it was completed by about 1938 or 39. Oh, right, as recently as that? Yeah, yeah. People are always really surprised because it has this sense of, like, timelessness that it's this thing that's always been there. And it's relatively recent and had quite a short life period as an active power station, in a way. I always associate the, the smoking chimneys with Victorian yeah, industrialism. Yeah, revolution, but it, it's, it's a very modern building. And, of course, 100 years before that I doubt it would have been too much of a problem to stick a power station in Chelsea because that was a relatively impoverished uh, neighbourhood nothing lasts forever you know the fact that all these flats within the power station have been sold off plan and and just accumulating value across the world constantly like it can't go on indefinitely so we've been saying that for a while yeah I know but I mean if you look at the course of history that's what I mean about looking at things on a wider scale of like 500 years rather than five It's it's a bit more uh, heartening all bubbles burst (laughs) if you give them time so there's a couple of websites that specialise in possible futures of Battersea Power Station Mm -hmm. and some of the designs are a bit silly, there's a French roller coaster around the power station in one um, in another one there's some undulating buildings that look as though they're places for people to live there's a swimming pool that there is no chance no no money in the world could get me to go into the swimming pool suspended 10 stories up between two no what's actually there at the moment 
um, a big building site really but you, the rate of construction around it is quite remarkable so in between the first set of filming that we did sort of last August oh so some of this is your your yeah, footage yeah so all, all the present day footage we shot sort of from August to November last year so all the kind of exterior shots we shot in August and by November when we went to shoot in um, the interiors looking out this huge building had gone up in between our view and the power station which was at first a bit disappointing but then obviously a part of what the film is about (laughs) the construction is happening very rapidly which I find interesting there's one image I've seen, and I'm not sure if it's the. It, it was it was at the top of the website, and it sort of gave the impression that this has been the, the selected plan. And I was shocked to see how much of the building's exterior is hidden by a defensive wall of yes. flats. The shots that we took from oh, you can see them now actually from the interior room looking out towards the power station. It's this idea that the power station is the most valuable asset of this development, but it's also the thing that's blocking it. So they can't, they can't erase it, but it's taking up valuable land. So they've built literally as close as possible around it, this sort of semicircle of flats which rise almost as high as the power station itself. Thus, you can't actually see the thing that is the creator of the value of the flats in the first place. Yeah, right. So the facade of the building is hidden, but also you lose that, uh, you know, that kind of monolithic quality yeah. that uh, a building like that or a cathedral or something has. And that seems a real loss to me. Yeah. And ironically, to go back to our Chelsea neighbours, the only place you can really see the building is from the other side of the river when you look at it face on with its sort of side panels of new developments. Well, I suppose that works in Greenwich, some of those old buildings that were designed to be looked at from the water. Yep, indeed. Interesting. Uh, Apart from who you are in relation to the mental image I had of you, I was aware coming to this interview uh, that this could be a tricky one because I think you have previously put together an art piece which was all about an an ancestor of yours who didn't like giving interviews. Um, Right, yeah. um, (laughs) She, uh, yeah, so the reason I got onto this project was I was doing a project about my great-great-grandmother who was resident in Battersea from kind of 1865 to 1959 which is quite a long lifespan good lord yeah so she she saw a lot you know and uh I had an audio recording of her made just before she died which was done by uh another member of the family and it's sort of him trying to sort of pin her down to reflect upon the sort of grand historical changes she's seen within her lifespan and she's just completely not interested in playing his game at all and I quite she's sort of a slippery character who just kind of will not play the part of the the old Victorian lady and she sort of has an energy beyond what you'd expect of somebody from that time didn't you say that your other granny lived to be 96 or so yes that was your Father's mother. That's the time I forget. And you, you, when do you remember her? You remember her when you were twenty? When we knew Grandma was coming to see us. She died. She died when you were about twenty. Oh, she died before that. Hmm. She knew Dad. Yes. Couldn't see him because she was blind. Yes. <laughs> Poor old Kelly. That was the last time I was down there when I went to see Margaret. I see. And seen the Cambridge before, and Henry. I said, oh, I haven't seen the Cambridge. At all? So he said, when we left Margaret, 
Well, you're a Londoner. How is it you've never seen it before? Never went up that direction at all. <laughs> I'm often allowed out, really. Yes, but you've been past uh, Rotherhithe. No, I when you were younger. Oh my dear, yes, right down the shearness. That was before it was built, then. Oh yes, of course. Really? How did you go down? By on the river. And the river where died for my father. Father was um, captain. Cap- captain of a river steamer. Yes. And you went down on the ship? Oh, yes, of course. And when you went where Tower Bridge is now, it yes. wasn't then built? Oh, then, no. Good heavens. We thought it had been there much longer than that. When was it built? Couldn't tell you. About I'm eight? Not I'm a Londoner, but I don't know anything about London. <laughs> Did you see King Edward the Seventh? Uh, yes, I've seen King Edward. In the King's Road, Chelsea, even a carriage. Oh, yes. He was a gay old dog. We have nothing but that case for many years, isn't it? It's all right, it's down. <laughs> it's down. <laughs> um, Queen Mary, of course, you remember. Oh, him. my God, I love Queen Mary. I used to copy a hat. <laughs> all of this. Is that you made yourself? Yes. Your own hat. Oh, yes, I like it. The dam was coming out. I, I was uh, coming along the corridor and I saw one of the nurses and she got this hat on. She was laughing. So I, looked, I, sort of, I said, half a minute, I said, it's my hat she got on. <laughs> Ellen had left it at the gate, she said. Yes. Oh, she's I'm sorry. But I thought you got it the wrong way round. <laughs> so I put it on, you know, filled it up. Mm. Oh, she screamed Mary. <laughs> yeah, she was the reason that I started looking into this and then having spent a lot of time in Battersea following her around because she lived, she moved like every couple of years as people seemed to do back then, you know, 20, 30 addresses in Battersea and nearly all of them been knocked down in the 50s to make way for the new housing estates and now you know, this new phase of development which is sort of taking over from that. I just found the area completely, yeah, absolutely, I was fascinated by what's happening there. I didn't, I don't think I knew about the 50s developments. It kind of makes sense post-war. But but this is the second phase of major regeneration in that area. Battersea as a place didn't really exist before, like, the mid-19th century. So it was just kind of... Um, farmland, it, was, it is a marsh basically, so um, kind of around the 18 I can't remember the figures exactly but between 1840 and 1880 the population went from something like 10,000 to 200,000 or something extreme, don't quote me on that because <laughs> it was big numbers anyway, so you know obviously in the late 19th century a huge amount of very low quality workers housing went up and a lot of people like my family worked on the river, there was a shipyard there. And then sort of, you know, post-war period, Battersea saw a lot of the kind of first, first wave of um, council-built housing going up, which erased a lot of this previous uh, Victorian housing that was uh, erased to make way for that. And now, of course, it's a whole different type of building that's happening. So what's the score as regards that 50s wave then? We can see what's going on around the power station, but what about more broadly in Battersea? Is that all being squished as well? Not that I'm aware of. I think they're just going to coexist side by side. I mean, there's certain amounts of... In, like the area, basically, where all the building is happening, Nine Elms has always been quite industrial, so you had things like a massive post office depot there, 
um, the Cov- new Covent Garden market, parts of which are being knocked down to make way for some of these blocks. But mostly it was just sort of, um, yeah, railway buildings, glasswork, steel plants, stuff like that, that over the years has been got rid of. And it's always, yeah, a bit of a strange area, but this area is kind of in flux, which is why I found it quite interesting. Mm. So it reflects, always reflects the time in which it's in, you know. When it came to trying to find footage of this stuff, how hard did you have to look? Yeah, it was quite tricky. I mean, the, the Pathé archive was really interesting, and you can always, especially with something like the power station, that, of course, has always been heavily featured in all, all kinds of films, TV, news items. I uh, found a lot of news items about the power station, uh, including some of the footage you see as a strike at the power station. Uh, there's another item, which is Queen Mary visiting the power station. With a, with a young Princess Elizabeth, who, of course, is now a queen. And then some of the later footage that you picked up on the, the kind of 70s, 80s footage is of the last wave of kind of, like, regeneration of the Nine Elms industrial site when I think they're knocking down a lot of the industrial buildings to make way for the new Covent Garden market. So that's what that uh, sort of archive... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Color footage is of, it's of the building of the new, new Covent Garden market. And what they erased to make way for them. Going back to your great, great grandma and her, her wildliness in interviews yeah. it struck me because this isn't your first interview of the day you've been on Chinese TV this morning how does that feel by the way knowing that you're going out to that many people on the, on the Chinese state broadcaster very abstract I have no idea what it means I can't really I, I find it I can't really imagine what people in China will make of my very sort of localised film about Battersea Power Station it would I can't imagine how you would make sense of it as somebody on the other side of the world. But Although, very often when we talk about China, it's in the context of they are building X number of power stations uh, every week, so oh, I guess maybe the, yeah. there might be something they'd uh, recognise. The I think so. <laughs> but the, what I was going to ask you, the, 
process of art and exhibiting art and doing this kind of thing that we're doing now necessarily requires exactly what your great-great-grandma would not have uh, joined in with. She wouldn't have played ball, which is explaining what you're doing and and setting a narrative and uh, talking around the subject. And I wondered what you feel about that as an artist. How much joy does that bring to you to to be talking about the work? Um, I think with the nature of the work and the film that I've made I, I, I'm not trying to obfuscate like I, I try to make the work as kind of explains itself through its own making so you know personally I like to understand what something is and what it's about and I think that's you know like the most generous thing you can do really is to <laughs> try and be as straightforward as possible I'm not really in the, I don't, don't find it very interesting to be deeply confused about art it's quite annoying really so I'm quite happy to kind of talk about it and of course you only give away as much as you want to give away because a certain amount of it is for people to understand it themselves but the work itself sort of talks you through what's happening quite literally it sort of talks about the images on screen the narrative explains what we're seeing and where, where we are in the passage of time so I'd like to think that you know people can sort of follow the thread of it hopefully it's a very beautiful piece as well, apart from being clear. I, mean, it's, I was wondering how that approach serves you in, in the art world, where I guess people are possibly more used to things being a little bit elliptical and uh, enigmatic. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it's not something I really worry about, really, because um, just I think it's best just to be honest about what you're doing and what you want to do and what you're trying to say, and I probably am more interested in... Uh, novels than I am other artworks so you know I, I, I like the nature of the written word and how it explains what's happening so that's my kind of usually my reference point for how I make something rather than perhaps other art films I guess The Sound of London Londonist Out Loud with N. Quentin Wolf. Listen free every week on your favourite podcast platform subscribe via iTunes and get great extra content at londonist.com Tweet the show at Londonist Sound and see pictures of all our guests on the Londonist Out Loud stream on Instagram. The mind will wander, she said, for that is what the mind does. Acknowledge where the mind travels to and then gently but firmly, time and time again, return your attention to the sensations of the breath, to the present moment. On the next breath, she said, Take a lungful of air and guide it down the furthest end of a limb. Breathe into this point of the body, she said, and out from it. What physical sensations are there in those nerve endings? Perhaps you feel the rush of cool air passing, the touch of a material cloaking your skin, a tingling or persistent itch. Perhaps you feel nothing at all, and that is absolutely fine. A man from the council came and stood in the library foyer. He asked people how they would like the funding cuts to be delivered. She said that's like being asked which limbs you want to cut off first. If you feel a difficulty in any part of the body, she said, breathe into it. Accept its presence, but do not be drawn into your feelings about it. We must accept that everything is temporary. Feelings, thoughts and emotions are just fleeting moments, coming and going flooding past like cars on the road. A steamboat chugs past, backwards towards things, remembered or read, felt, smelt, sensed or heard of, 
Here comes all of our present moments past, extending backward or forward, embedded in this plot of land, coming and going, coming and... Here is Badrick's Island, the marshland and all its inhabitants. Here comes Mr. and Mrs. Bundle, the sparrowgrass farmers, and Tom Tug, the waterman. Here comes the night soil boat from the city, filled with rich urban manure. Here comes the common land, the collective workers, the sick, coming to Battersea to be cut for the symbols. Here comes Sir Thomas More, who owns the land here now. Here comes More's tenant farmers calling out to him, More! More? But More can't hear. He's on another island, writing about another island where inhabitants behave as he writes and the chamber pots are made of gold. Here comes... There goes the boat back to the city, loaded with Battersea artichokes. Nine elms, melons and bundles of sparrowgrass grown huge in the night soil. Here comes the Industrial Revolution, Morgan Crucible, the glassworks, the steel plants. Here comes 160,000 new neighbours, workers work. Here comes the house, bricks, mortar, the house, a home. Here comes Jessie, shouting to her father, the captain up on the bridge board. Here comes the railway, Nine Elms Station. There goes Jessie's boat, all the boats, the boatyard, the waterman. Here comes the Albert Palace, a steel skeleton on a carpet of broken glass. Here comes the city's rubbish, the first electric street lighting, the junction of things yet to come. Here comes the Battersea Tangle, the waterworks, sending possible messages to our neighbours down Elephant and Castle. There goes the waterworks. Here comes Dream City, an illuminated tower of electric light. There goes Dream City, left on a page, in a box, in a dream. Here come our Chelsea neighbours from over the river, hungry for power. Here comes the power station. Right here, jobs for life. Our Chelsea neighbours have their power. A war, have their clean air. More, have their valuable houses. The women, we hold the source of their power. The thick air, the hastily built homes. Here comes Jessie, looking on as Queen Mary visits, admiring her hat. Here come the world-famous artichokes of Battersea. Something like a Jerusalem, but... There goes the railway station. Here comes the Festival of Britain, Pleasure Gardens. Leisure, the weekend, more. Here comes the first council estate. A higher life, better, more sanitary. There goes the house, bricks, mortar, Here comes and the more. riverside waste plant, shipping the waste from uptown, down the river, out the city, buried. There goes the farmland, the pigs, the cows, the sheep, the nine elms, melons, the sparrowgrass, the Battersea artichoke. There goes jobs for life, more. Here comes the families from uptown, looking for a place by the park. There goes the steel plant, the glassworks, the workers. Here comes old money, the certain types of cafe, the estate agents, the shops. The shops we used to run a chain all over the country until we realized that we only needed one in a place where enough people had more than enough money to buy a few extra bikes for potting around on to take down to their cottage by there the sea. There goes the council estate, the market, the post office depot. There goes the weekend, leisure, Here more. comes a new market. Here comes a future haunting the present. Here comes the present moment. Future plans or reenactments of the past. Here comes the railway again, resurrected. Glass and steel structures. Towers of illuminated light, power, new life, more, better, sooner, higher, but for who? You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm Anne Quentin Wolfe, and with me, Alice May Williams, and we're in Jerwood's. Why are we in Jerwood's space? There's something, something deeply disconnected about this whole thing, talking about Battersea for the whole show, but being not in Battersea. Well, it's because it's where the. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid question, it's where the film's show. Let's talk process. And some people like talking about their process and some people prefer to keep it a secret. I sense that you're not going to want to keep it secret. 
No, no, there's no secrets here. <laughs> now, some people, when you ask them to pathologise their process, that kind of blindsides them because it's just inbuilt and they don't, they're not conscious of having a process. Is that where you find yourself or do you have a procedure? I don't know about procedure, but, you know, I think, um, especially with this one, which started from quite a specific point of uh, being in sort of historical archives and looking at the history of Battersea, I read this very very thick big heavy book called uh, Survey of London Volume 1 Battersea um, <laughs> that sounds very exciting it actually was uh, fascinating I haven't read the whole thing but I got you know first two chapters were very rich and um, I found out about this plan called Dream City which was an amusement park that was going to be built on the site of the power station before the power station was built Was that the one we, were, we saw images there yeah, that looked like a pleasure garden? Yeah, right. so um, that kind of sparked the whole interest in the site and the, the, the period of research for the film so um, yeah, kind of working through understanding it, the history of one particular location and um, gathering images listening to conversations of other people on the on the train or um and kind of weaving them together into a unified narrative also it comes quite draws quite heavily on the on the process of of um yeah of mindfulness as i said and about it uses the language of that this kind of practice of trying to ground yourself in the present moment but being constantly drawn into the past or the future so. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that I've been conscious of the mindfulness element as I've been, certainly as, as, as I've been watching the images on the screen. Uh, well, to come back to your point you made earlier about why their feet... Um, it was, yes, a, I, I should say they've just appeared on the screen... Uh, they're back again, they're back, yeah. With, with perfect timing, they fill up half the cinema-size screen and uh, the toes are wiggling. Huge feet, absolutely huge. Your feet? Yeah, so it's kind of about... Uh, grounding yourself in your own body and thinking about each section of your body in order to understand sort of your own present condition and kind of using that as a reflection on the figure in relation to the power station also the power station itself as a body and and the sensations which are passing through that body as it as it progresses through time from sort of a functional power station to a mega building site it's a kind of using this process of grounding yourself in the body and, the, and, and reflecting on the ground on which you are situated as both a person and a power station. Um, it's, it sounds like you are the perfect artist for this show then in the sense that as you consider a space, you're thinking about the, all the, the facets of its past, all the different chapters in its past, all the possible futures, very, very much what I think brings London to life. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why I was interested in this idea of borrowed time, I guess, is the sense that we are, you know, nobody really owns that patch of land. Like, it's been so many different um, things over the course of history. And, uh, yeah, this sense that we are living on borrowed time. Also, with the, you know, the relation to the water and the idea of living on a marsh, I find really... Uh, funny in a way <laughs> like a high value property being on a marshland the sense that you know how long is this going to last like how how solid is the ground on which we stand building on inappropriate bits of land really hasn't worked elsewhere in the country <laughs> no, no. You I, I, I find it really interesting I, I grew up um, in Dorset and you kind of 
every every sort of month or so in Dorset, a, a little bit of cliff falls into the sea, and someone's house gets further and uh, closer and closer to falling off a cliff. And you think, like, well, you know, these things that we understand as borders or boundaries between land and water are really very permeable and I would never live particularly close to a large body of water. Yeah, although it does feel in London, doesn't it? And I'm thinking as well of the stuff on the Olympic redevelopment where we spread out and you get that sense of the city, the urban, just crushing everything else underfoot Mm. and really they become token gestures towards green space don't they even in the architect's drawings it's a carefully curated small quadrants of green space yeah maybe i mean it's interesting you mentioned olympic park because that was another reference point for this and there are certain points when there's images of the olympic park because i find it quite um an interesting parallel as a as a huge development on a kind of not neglected part of london but perhaps like a formerly industrial area. But I think the Olympic Park's actually like an example of a really successful building of a new green public space. And the way that it's utilised, I think, is actually really positive. How Battersea pans out, I don't know. Like, we'd have to wait and see, wouldn't we? But it doesn't look... You know, the, the amazing thing about the Olympic Park is that it is so currently so empty. It's just... It's vast, and I think that's quite remarkable in London. And quite a Swiss army knife of a development as well. They've got a a multi-purpose, multi-use site on their hands. Well, okay, we've been watching this film going through a number of cycles as we've been here, so we've glimpsed all the different variations on its its history and its future. And the one that's currently under construction, I've got to say, is one of the least inspiring, to my (laughs) mind. At the moment, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't look particularly exciting. Um, It looks like they've... Well, it just... It just looks a bit silly, doesn't it? They've got a beautiful thing there and they've uh, piled some ugly stuff in front of it. it in glass and steel buildings. But, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see how it works out. Maybe it will remain half-built. We never know. The thing that I find interesting about sort of architects' visualisations of things is that I find them, like, both alarming and incredibly seductive. So there's this sense of, like looking at those sort of flying videos where you're sort of flying through these new new spaces and in equal parts I don't want it to come to life and I also really want to go there so <laughs> I kind of, I'm very interested to see what happens and how it pans out and how accessible it will be for people like us to go there and walk around and what access we'll have to that building and how we will get to negotiate the spaces around it. Currently, yeah, the, the buildings that have gone up alongside it, I'm not a, not a huge fan of, but I am very careful with my words as well. <laughs> you, say, you sound like a reader as well, because it can be a great diversion to spend time in a dystopia, but actually to have to use that dystopia on a day-to-day level is another question entirely. And it brings me around to asking, of course, when there's somebody interested in novels, how have novels fed your art? Um, I think both in terms of this project and the last one which we mentioned briefly before like I was uh, reading a a lot of Virginia Woolf I was interested in the book Orlando as a sense of a biography but in the terms of the vast span of history so tracing a character through sort of 500 years of time and how that one person might change shape and body and gender and occupation and kind of using that as a model to understand the power station or that patch of land or Battersea as this character whose biography 
spans that kind of expanse of time. And also the relationship between Virginia Woolf and mindfulness, which is this constant return to the idea of the present moment. So in Orlando, there's this constant like narrative refrain where Orlando will get hit on the head. And it, um, it says something like, Orlando was hit on the head 10 times. It was 10 o'clock. It was the present moment. It was 1928, for example. So I really like that idea of, of suddenly bringing the reader back around to say, it is the present moment. It is this year so you're kind of follow you're like following the course of history but you're within it as well as understanding as you're reading or writing you are becoming that moment in time and that moment in time has already passed by the time you've read it so the sort of written moment and the read moment and the separation between them so um also um we we're talking earlier actually outside about margaret atwood and the idea of kind of these futures that are alarmingly similar to our present but also quite horrible so kind of yeah as you mentioned dystopian futures but also as well you know I hope it's kind of a little bit more positive than that in terms of the outlook of the film that I've made and understanding that uh, not every future is a dystopia hopefully not that I'm saying it's a utopia but you know you never know (laughs) Uh, with uh, an, an abrupt uh, application of the handbrake, uh, we've reached the end of our time. Great. And w- what do you mean, great? I mean, it's been <laughs> it's been lovely. It's been really enjoyable. Is the correct answer? Forty-five minutes. <laughs> um, people will uh, want to find out more, and uh, of course, they can Google Alice May Williams. They can Google Jerwood Space. Google covers all of it, basically. Google is it? everything you know. Yeah, I don't know why we even we give out website all. addresses. That's where knowledge lives, uh, Google. The show is on for two months, so you could just come in in real time and space and see the actual thing it, in itself. Alice May Williams, thanks very much. Thank you. My heart aches for some far off place No one cut us, babe, you with your name How you raised us Love's fake and that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Alice May Williams. Thanks too to James Douglas, Sarah Kitesman, and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm Enquentin Wolf. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.